the reading of the scriptures. Uh, this morning, reading Psalm 63, I invite uh, your reverent hearing of uh, the public reading of God's uh, holy word and uh, also your hearing in faith. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh faints for thee, as in a dry and weary land where no water is. So I have looked upon thee in the sanctuary, beholding thy power and glory. Because thy steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise thee. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on thy name. My soul is feasted as with marrow and fat, and my mouth praises thee with joyful lips when I think of thee upon my bed and meditate upon thee in the watches of the night. For thou hast been my help, and in the shadow of thy wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to thee, thy right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall glory, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Typically when our... uh, lives are threatened some way, um, we, we call 911, dispatch police or fire, whatever the case might be. Um, but somewhere in our list of priorities to take care of ourselves for protection, uh, worshiping God should perhaps be moved higher and higher on the list. Because that's exactly what uh, is occurring in this psalm. David's life is is threatened. Um, And his response really is remarkable. He, He worships God. And he longs to be restored to the place that was the authorized uh, locale where the Israelites were to worship God, namely where the tabernacle and temple were. So that when David's life is threatened, um, he longs to commune with God, to worship Him, and uh, he thanks God for His steadfast loyalty and also acknowledges uh, his sure and certain assurance and deliverance from his enemies. So let's look at the threat to David's life uh, in our in our psalm. If you look at verse nine, but those who seek my life to destroy it. So someone's trying to kill David. Well, we cannot be dogmatic. There are a couple of scenarios that come to mind. Uh, the first is First Samuel twenty-three. Um, We know that Saul was a determined threat to David and hunted him uh, to kill him. David was a threat to Saul. 
So he wants to erase the threat. 1 Samuel 23.14 And David stayed in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. There's a determined enemy that wants to kill him. And what is David doing? Well, he's worshiping God. Second is uh, perhaps in 2 Samuel, in the rebellion under Absalom. Uh, it's a very painful a time in David's life, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but 2 Samuel 15, verse 14, and uh, David is being pushed out of Jerusalem because Absalom has uh, uh, taken over the city. So he has to flee for his life. And what was in Jerusalem? The place where David could worship God. Verse 14 of 2 Samuel 15, David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, he said, Arise, let us flee. For otherwise none of us will escape Absalom. Go in haste lest he overtake us quickly and bring down calamity upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. He turns to Zadok uh, because he follows David with the ark. He says, return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. That's an incredible acknowledgement of faith. He's now having to trust God alone. I want to go and be where God is and to worship him, and if I find favor in his eyes, he will make it so. Verse 26, But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do with me as seems good to him. That's a prayer of incredible faith. Uh, but when David is being pushed out, we read in verse 13, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and he wept as he went and his head was covered as he walked barefoot. And all who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping because of the incredible tragedy, being pushed out. Uh, maybe someday there'll be some edict. Uh, we know that you go to Grace Bible Church and now it's against the law for you to go there. How would you respond? Well, David worships God and he's going to trust God to enable him to return. Maybe they would send you a notice and say, well, you can go to this church on this street and you can go to this church of this denomination, but you have long since cut your ties to those churches and your allegiance to them theologically. You want to go where you believe God is worshipped. Think of David's response, weeping barefoot as he goes, being pushed out of the city. Lots of things were going on in his mind, but one is very unique. The corporate worship of God. Old Testament, the tabernacle. New Testament, the church. The true church. And he longs in verses 1 and 2 to worship God again in the sanctuary. I find that amazing. Really? He thinks of church? Who thinks of church when their, when their life is threatened? Think of other things like Mom, dad, <laughs> um, maybe our parents, 911. I mean, I don't know. It's just, we think of lots and lots of things. David thinks of where God is worshiped. Perhaps should have a higher priority in our lives 
we see this because David has to flee to Jerusalem where the presence of God was localized in the tabernacle. And uh, because of his flight, he acknowledged his loyalty to God. While terrible things are happening around him, he says, God, you are my God. We might say something like, God, terrible things are happening to me, but you are still my God. Notice the, the, the personal aspect of that. I have no other God. You are my God. I want to worship you. No other God will I worship. Oftentimes, when bad things happen to professing Christians, they simply cut loose. Well, God's going to do that to me. I'll show him. That's uh, not a wise thing to do. To the contrary, David is looking early for God. The New American Standard has earnestly Earnestly will I seek you. But the nominal form of this uh, word is, is the word for dawn. So I think David is really saying um, early, early in the morning my thoughts are of you. Very start of the day, David's thoughts turn to God. He says, I'm in a dry and drought-stricken place where water is very scarce. And he reflects upon his need for water in the wilderness and transitions to his need for God. I mean, we generally take it for granted. You turn the tap on, there's water there. Well, hopefully it's clean, but nonetheless, uh, certainly fairly accessible. Not so in David's life as a fugitive. Uh, it's in the wilderness. So, his, his need for water is transitioning point for his real need for God. Of all the things you need in life, and I understand there are many things we need in life to sustain it, but first and foremost, the highest priority of them all is our need for the living God. He says, my flesh faints for you, longs for you. His body's in distress, but his priority is communing with God. Says, thus, I want to be where you are, God. Again, the localized presence of God. We know that God is omnipresent, but in uh, Jerusalem, it was localized in the Holy of Holies, tabernacle, temple. So look at verse 2. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Thus I beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and glory. As I've seen your glory, the majestic presence of God that's greater than life itself, the most beautiful thing of all of life is the glory of God. I mean, the most the most beautiful of fashions will all someday go out of fashion. The most beautiful of models will someday succumb to age and the withering effects of time. Not so with God. The eternal God. Majestic presence greater than all of our circumstances. Where they're seen. For David, they were localized in the Holy of Holies. 
and your power, your ability to deliver me from my enemies. In other words, he longs to return because he knows that his absence from worship is also a very dangerous place. Jesus acknowledges our, our need for water. End of the great feast, John chapter 7, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, a reference to the Holy Spirit. God gives us not only the Son, but the Great Spirit to abide with us continually to quench our thirst. It's also a a realization that the only true place of worship now is in Christ. Every other place is false. So we worship Him in the sanctuary. It's the only authorized place of worship. Verses 3 to 8, His worship has as its object the covenantal loyalty of God. Looked at this last week. A uh, very prominent word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is chesed. God's covenantal loyalty to his people. David knew it because Samuel the prophet had anointed him to be king. Uh, he knew it subsequently because uh, he knew that from him a greater king would come. And the loyalty of God would never depart from David in David's house. You and I are a vestige of that in Christ the great messianic king. So he knew that God had a covenant with him. You and I know that there's an eternal covenant of redemption where God pledges uh, through his son to rescue his people. He says you're Your loyalty is better than life. And he praises God. Better than life. I mean, we yearn for lots of things in life. Next vacation, next time of leisure, 68 Corvette. I mean, I I don't know what it is that you sometimes set your heart upon. Ultimately, the greatest of all priorities is set your heart upon God. His provision and his faithfulness to his own. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 is a reference to the loyalty of God to his people in a very difficult time, a time of tribulation. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. Preserve you through it is the breaking point of the promise. Kept you from. It's picked up in our Lord's high priestly prayer, John 17. He keeps his own. It's the point. Beautiful illustration of this in Revelation chapter 7. God is pouring out his judgments upon the earth, even now, upon wicked nations. Before he does so, he says, uh, before you pour out the judgments, go, go seal my own. 7.3, do not harm the earth or the seas and the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. The Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. How we know we make it. 
I mean, in a measure, in terms of responsibility, it breaks upon us, but the greater measurement that we know that we'll make it is because the Spirit of God has sealed us until we reach our heavenly home. So think about it. Our loyalty to God is important, but greater than all is God's loyalty to us. So incredible, David is praising God for us, for, for his loyalty. That all who believe in Christ have the divine promise of protection from evil as an inspiration of our loyalty to him. It's an easier subject, God's loyalty to us, but nevertheless, it's to inspire us to be loyal to him. And this attribute of loyalty or faithfulness causes David to praise God. Verse 4. So I'll bless thee as long as I live. That's a pledge of loyalty. He blesses God. He lifts up his hands, figurative of worship. His soul or inner man is uh, satisfied, verse 5, with the worship of God. We oftentimes take pledges of loyalty. Pledge allegiance to the flag. Protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I don't know if you've, I know some of you have taken oaths like that. Go to a Christian wedding. Incredible loyalty oaths, sickness and in health. Forsaking all others. David is acknowledging these great loyalty oaths in this based upon God's loyalty to us. And I understand it's difficult sometimes to discharge those. Sometimes servicemen take an oath of loyalty and they give their life uh, on and on. But David knows instinctively God's loyalty to him and he worships God for it. Uh, I love the phrase, uh, my inner man or my soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. Literally, the Hebrew text is fat and fat. It's a figure of speech called a hendiades, used to intensify the essence of satisfaction. The reference is either a simile and acknowledging a fantastic meal or offering in the worship of God, or perhaps a literal meal, uh, which we think of our most favorite meal, and we transfer it in a sense of our musings of the majesty of God. I mean, what is that for you? Mincemeat pie? I don't know. Burn-ins? If you were to say, Phil, we're frying quail at my house tomorrow morning for breakfast, can I camp out in your backyard? Yeah. So you, you take your favorite meal, whatever it might be, Transfer that in your worship of God. That's David's satisfaction of what worship meant to him. We anticipate the meal, but the spiritual analog was David worshiping God as the greatest meal of all time. All the trimmings. And his meal, verse 6, is remembering God meditating on him in the night watches. Guards are posted. I used to detest in the military uh, 
guard duty. I mean, it's fairly easy when it's, you know, daylight outside, but man, the one to three hours, tough. The three to six is really tough. Used to drive out in a Jeep to serve coffee to the troops, three to six. That's tough to stay awake. David is meditating upon God in the night watches. It's unable to sleep, maybe, I don't know, but nevertheless his thoughts turn to God and his supremacy. So that in the worst of times, when someone's seeking to kill him, he has the best of times in worshiping God. And the outworking of the loyalty of God is his help. God's loyalty. God's power. His ability to affect his promises. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the seas, though its waters roars and foam, though the mountains quake at at its swelling. I mean, we are terrified today, are we not? Oh my gosh, the world's running out of time. Everything's being destroyed. The climate and the the, uh, ice fall that the polar bears can float on. Oh, how terrible. God will turn out the lights when he's finished. He is able because of his power to preserve his creation. The whole point of providence. He sustains his own. And the greater point of his providence is he keeps his own forever. That's a God to be worshipped. All else will fall away except those that belong to Him. Psalm 94, verses 17 to 19. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have been dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, the loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolation delight my soul. Worship of God in difficult times. The nature of uh, David's help is in a zoomorphism, the shadow of your wings, verse 7. It means that uh, divine presence and there to protect them even in the midst of danger. I would remind you, outside of the presence of God is grave danger. And I think in a measure that includes partially the corporate worship of God where God manifests His presence in a special day, like the day of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Oftentimes enjoy those animal programs on television where the great migrations of the animals are moving. and uh, The one where the wildebeest has to cross the river and the crocodiles are just waiting. How in the world could you survive that? Well, I mean, that's our life. The demons are after us, pursuing us as hard as they can, trying to erode our confidence in God. God is our protector. Ever-present help in a time of trouble. That's why it's very sad to watch a professing Christian sometimes cut his presence in church or her presence in church because the demons follow just like the cheetah and the lions follow the migrating herds. So David also responds to God's loyalty with his own in verse 8. My soul clings 
to you. It's glued to you, God. It's a pledge to uh, stick to God. God sticks with him, so he's going to reciprocate. Times of distress draw close to God. In the midst of all the things you need to do when you're in great distress, physical or spiritual, maybe the worship of God should be moved up priority because God takes care of His own. Others begin to disengage on occasion. uh, But David grasps reality that will support and uphold him. Great picture here. I've referenced this on occasion. Uh, song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arm from Deuteronomy 33.27. Acknowledgement of God in the sanctuary, the glory of God. And then the phrase, and underneath are the everlasting arms. To do what? To uphold His people. Mighty arms because they're omnipotent. No greater power than the arms of God. Obviously a figure of speech for the majesty of God. Keep and protect His own. I was watching a rerun the other day. If it sounds like that's all I do is watch television, it's not true. I I was watching, you know, it was just some football game ended. So I'm sitting there spinning and really the remake of True Grit? I keep hearing this refrain. I know that refrain. It's leaning on the everlasting arms. The modern remake picks up that refrain. Leaning on the everlasting arms. When the credits are being showed, the singer begins to sing the hymn. You've got to be kidding me. A Christian hymn in a secular movie? Then it finally dawned on me. Maddie was trusting the arms of Rooster to protect her. When she gets bitten by a rattlesnake, those arms carry her to safety. I mean, Rooster Cogburn may be true grit, but he has nothing on God. Regardless of the depths of the tragedies that you might face, worship God. He keeps his own. He never fails. He never loses. In his worship, David has assurance of the destruction of his enemies. Verses 9 to 11. I've mentioned the figure of speech. Irony, there's incredible irony here. He says, they seek my life for their ruin. They seek to kill me, but they will go down to the grave and I will live on. Irony is depicted again in verse 10. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the sword will pour them out. In other words, they want to cut David, uh, but they're going to be cut and bleed out. He will live on. 
Even worse, they become food for jackals. They don't even give a proper burial. I mean, the, the United States government, particularly in an agency, I've mentioned this before, and the Army spends a lot of money to recover missing soldiers. God finds all that are His, loses none of them. We'll resurrect them all, and none are lost. It's an occasion to worship God. And this, the jackals have dominion over David's enemies. The reason for his assurance is the promise that the mouth-speaking lies will be stopped or shut up. Uh, in their propaganda, they seek to harm David, but God turns it against them. But even when enemies are confronting you, God will take care of you. Uh, lots of threats to the Christian today. Chiefly in America, it's uh, soft theology that seeks to soften hearts so hearts can be turned away from God to the ways of the world. Uh, but we have a greater aspect of God's loyalty to us today, this morning, do we not? Uh, the incarnation of our great uh, Savior and Redeemer. Though he was not obligated to save anyone, he took upon himself human nature, the God-man, and uh, came into this world to rescue all his own in sacrificial uh, atonement, to give his life a ransom, the one for the many, and to save the many uh, in that act of ransom. And then as he departs, because he's always the incarnate God-man, even in heaven today, he dispatches the mighty Holy Spirit together to equip and to sanctify and to remind us of how important it is to worship the true God in the true church. And so that we are kept by the power of God until the end. Uh, it, is, it is what beckons us to come to the sacrament. Obviously, uh, great uh, spiritual... Warrants, I just turned to one very quickly in the Gospel of John, uh, perhaps my favorite, John chapter 6. Uh, point of the figure of speech is to turn upon our faith in appropriating and acknowledging God's faithfulness and loyalty to us. John chapter 6, verse 35. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Never so he is the fullness of the reality of our need for water and food. But when we come to him spiritually by faith and believe upon him and hope in him and trust him, our cupboard for bread will never run out. And our, our, our wells will never run dry. 53 to 58. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. In other words, believe me in what I did for you. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. His loyalty to us, beyond measure, raise us up on the last day. Sorry. Uh, break the bread and it's passed to you. I ask you hold the element to which time uh, all of us are served. 
and uh, then we will eat together as one church because the church of Jesus Christ is one and we express oneness and that unity as we partake together. Um, if there is something that you need to get right with God before you partake, I encourage you to do that. Jay began our service in a measure with a time of uh, confession. Uh, we acknowledge the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Totality of forgiveness. If you need to reflect upon that, I encourage you to do so. Uh, but at some point, um, reflect upon God's faithfulness to you. Because He was not obligated to come for you. But He did. And gave His life a ransom. Uh, he was not obligated to suffer hideous torture. But He did. And insults, but He did. Uh, to the end that He was dead and buried. And then rose again out of His loyalty to you to save you. Notice I'm stressing you as an individual. David says, God, even though I am in trouble, you are still my God. My God. No other gods work for David and no other Savior works in, in Christ. Time to worship Him, fellowship uh, with Him, uh, to acknowledge the benefits of the new covenant and to savor the greatest meal of all time with all the trimmings eat of the flesh of the Son of Man. Greatest meal. Our remembrance of it is what He did for us upon the cross. So let's uh, prepare our hearts to uh, partake of uh, the bread uh, in acknowledgement of what our Savior is and what He has done for us. Our Father, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us perpetually safe. And bless us individually and corporately as we partake to signify that we belong body and soul to the only God, the living God, the true God, and our faithful Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Make us full that we might go away totally satisfied in the inner man or woman. Acknowledging, acknowledging that we have been richly and deeply blessed with the gift of eternal life in Him and Him alone. And these things we pray in His name and for His glory. Amen. Remind you that as I uh, pass the uh, service, uh, in the center of the service there's wine, periphery grape juice that each may partake according to their own conscience. Uh, but more importantly, that Christ drank the cup of judgment that we might drink and celebrate the cup of the new covenant. Uh, shed uh, by the marker of His blood, His loyalty to us to the end, that He loved us uh, to the end, uh, certainly including the measure of His own life. And uh, please hold the cup until which time we're all served and they will drink together uh, so that we might have this perpetual reminder that we are one church, one people of God. And... Uh, uh, as you hold the cup, you might have occasion to pray and to praise God for His uh, loyalty to you and uh, perhaps uh, renew a measure of a vow for you to be loyal to Him regardless of the times or the circumstances uh, because uh, He went the distance 
And uh, we are in like manner to be faithful and to persevere to the end. And as we drink the cup, may he uh, quench our thirst and uh, give us the strength uh, therein uh, to pursue that which is uh, the worship of God throughout all of our lives in every season, in every period, in every circumstance. So let's again begin to prepare our hearts for the drinking of the cup. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the cup. It teaches us many things, to be satisfied with the work of our great God, but we also learn from it that our Savior spent Himself in satisfied wrath that we might never have to pay and accomplished total and complete forgiveness for us. Canceled the certificate of debt and paid it in full. What a Savior. We're thankful for Him. We acknowledge Him. As we drink, we acknowledge, as we should, that He drank the cup of judgment that we might celebrate. Uh, help us, Lord, as we remember and appropriate by faith all of the benefits of His covenant with us, that we might all the more witness for Him and shed His light uh, to a dark and hungry and thirsty world. And these things we ask in His name and for His glory. Amen.